Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And welcome to episode 109 of Geek Town Radio. This week I have with me Bex. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Excellent. Enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> it is phenomenal. I almost want to go outside. <laughs> I know. I know. Face you guilty about being inside doing things when the weather's like this. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was like 22 degrees up here yesterday. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so what have you been up to the last few weeks? Uh, apart from desperately trying to not make even more videos on youtube about ghost in the shell <laughs> yes i think i've already made three <laughs> i might make another one <laughs> so what did you They're think a little bit ranty <laughs> uh, right okay so what did you think of ghost in the shell uh well, in a single line go on <laughs> uh, absolutely horrible generic by the numbers action thriller with very pretty graphics laid on top oh dear so they somewhat dropped the ball on it you're saying <laughs> i i don't think they had a ball <laughs> i think that they weren't even in the, the the realm of that particular metaphor it was such such a shame because visually there was some incredible work that was going on yeah. the people that were doing the costuming the effects the the makeup, the styling and things like that. Just amazing amounts of effort and wonderful work. However, it's all draped around this horrible, generic, poorly put together, predictable framework. Oh dear. And it wasn't very 3D. I saw it in 3D IMAX and there was only about three scenes that really fully utilised any 3D. I expected it to be more because so much of it is CGI it was a, an opportunity to do some incredible 3D work and yeah. they didn't really it seems designed to just be seen in 2D yeah I wonder if it was retrofitted 3D yeah. maybe I think there was one instance where they randomly threw something at the camera for no reason and that, that was about it really um, <laughs> but it, it's one of those films that's weird because it's only really worth seeing on the big screen because the visuals are that pretty and that expansive it's not going to really work on a tiny television no. but at the same time I don't want to give them my money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of the, the whole 3D thing. I'm kind of over at this point. I, I half the time I avoid going for 3D screenings unless it's something that I really think will work. But yeah, it's very it disappointing. Work. It's one of those things that really could work, but something would have to pretty much be film to only be seen in 3D because you lay out your shots very differently, you would direct it very differently, the yeah. way the camera will pan and move, the way you set up your foreground and background, what is in focus or not, that's done very differently if you want to do it well in 3D, but everyone is trying to just do a hybrid where it will be kind of okay in 3D or 2D and that means that no one really gets a very good deal. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the, the retrofitted 3D stuff I really dislike and the... Stuff that's, I mean, th there have been a few things that have been shot well in 3D. I think Avatar worked very well in 3D. I think the Hobbit movies were very interesting in 3D as well because they'd be designed to be shot like that. But when they kind of retrofit it, or I remember watching Captain America, the first Avenger in 3D, and I thought it was awful and worked so much better as a 2D movie. So, you know. Yeah. It's, well, you yeah. know that it shouldn't be shown in 3D if it only costs you an extra three quid and you feel robbed. Yes, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> You're sitting there going, I could have had an expensive overpriced packet of crisps. Yeah. That would have been worth it more than the slight 3D-ness and the slight awkwardness of having glasses or glasses over glasses in some people's cases. Yes, yeah. No, and, totally. and I think Ghost in the Shell very much was one of those. If you want to see the beautiful visuals, watch it in 2D because you also get a better colour saturation. Yes. and um, enjoy it for that but do not expect a single line of well-written dialogue oh dear 
Oh, well, not one I will be going to see, <laughs> I don't think. Well, I went to see it. I wanted to give it a chance. And because I knew I was probably going to be very, very angry, I thought that I should go and see it the day it came out. So I was completely justified and could say objectively that it was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, anything else you've been doing? Uh, End of Legion's amazing. Yes, yes. We haven't spoken since that finished. I thought they did a fantastic job with that whole series. I thought I the end was really another good. series already. Yes, yes. Well, you are getting another series. You're just going to have to wait for it. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure I can. <laughs> <laughs> it is seriously the best thing on television. Yeah. Um, absolutely amazing. Enjoyed that. Flash, I'm 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 a bit sort of hmm on Flash at the moment. The end of the last episode with their kind of mid-season break, that looks like it could be fun, although I feel they're retreading old ground. But I didn't like the musical episode. I was really looking forward to that. Yes, we, I don't think we've really spoken about the musical episode. I was looking forward to it, and I, I don't think it, it was as well put together as it really could have been. I think the premise was poor. By yeah. having, because the, the fun is seeing the characters you know and love singing, but by making it so it wasn't those characters, yeah. that kind of took away the novelty value and then they just did covers and i think why the although i'm not a massive fan of it the buffy singing episode that's sort of very famous for making this a, a thing yes um, they wrote the songs and they were personal to the characters and they they managed to maintain that kind of novelty value and tell story through their singing episode whereas this one was very very much a filler episode yeah i i'm sort of with you there i think once more with feeling though which is the the buffy episode i mean i am quite a fan of that episode because i think it, it mm. works really well i think the songs are really good and it importantly it drops the major plot points and pushes things forward whereas this the the thing that this resolves at the end is is that you've got Kara getting back with a boyfriend and you've got Barry getting back with um, Iris. But that just is is kind of resolving something which they kind of artificially set up in the first place. The The whole breakup thing, I don't think was particularly convincing in the first place. So that always felt a bit forced. And then you got this episode, which sort of shows the reason why they forced those breakups, if you see what I mean. so Yeah, they didn't have the kind of magnitude and weight that you'd expect with something like that. It just... It was a little bit like when you see commercials for sofas on the telly and they're half price, but you know they've never been full price. Yeah. You're supposed to feel excited that the sofas are half price, but somehow you know that that was inevitable and going to happen all along. Yeah. And it was a bit like that. It just, there wasn't any weight or real emotion behind these points that should have been, you know, someone proposing to someone should be so big and important. And even if it is, you know, you know it's going to happen. We know what characters are going to get together, but it should still have an emotional resonance and it really didn't because yeah they'd been broken up like a week yeah and I, I didn't quite buy the whole reason for them breaking up in the first place so I you know and it was the same with Supergirl as well I didn't I didn't buy that as you know I thought that was a bit weird the way that they did that in both cases and mm. uh, you know and so I haven't been watching Supergirl and they didn't give him enough build up in the flash that if you weren't watching Supergirl you had any clue who he even was right okay <laughs> He yeah, was just a dude, help. as far as I was concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that doesn't help either. I mean, you know, it was fun, but yeah, very filler, that episode, unfortunately. Yeah, they um, needed to write their own songs for it. I think that would have helped. And having the real world go into song is far more exciting than having an imaginary world where people that just look like the characters start singing. Yeah, and I always thought that, I mean, because Neil Patrick Harris voiced Music Meister in the cartoon version i think i think mm. that's where the character originated and i i sort of i i think it's such a shame that they couldn't get him to do this because i think he would have added a little extra layer to it as well but um he's incredibly charismatic and he does comedy very very well especially quirky comedy yeah yeah he would have been good but music might have a huge amount of screen time he just came across as slightly annoying and pointless yes i know what you mean yeah it would have been much nicer to see cisco singing about science and um he could have had a whole a whole killer frost aside that was a bit frozen like you know it, yeah yeah there yeah. was a lot of opportunity to do some really fun character pieces in there yeah no i'm with you it was it was okay but it was filler and slightly disappointing that episode so um Yes, if they do it again, I hope they take all that on board and, and uh, work at it a bit more. It will be good. Maybe you could rope Joss into doing one. That would be pretty cool. 
If we had Neil Patrick Harris and Joss Whedon, and if there's there's any chance of getting any other Firefly alumni into that as well, that would be cool. (laughs) That would be good. Well, you know, he is, if the rumours are all true, he is back at DC doing um, the uh, Batgirl movie. So, you know, maybe yes. maybe you could rope him across to do a TV episode. <laughs> Much as I'm not a massive fan of the, the sort of New 52 Batgirl comics, I do think that if anyone can make it into a good, a yeah. good cinematic piece, then it would be Joss Whedon. He's exactly the right person to be doing that. Yeah, definitely. So any other stuff this week? Uh, I, I think that's been mostly it. Ranting about Ghost in the Shell has taken up quite a lot of my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been finishing off Mass Effect Andromeda, uh, which I have now finished after 100 hours. Oh, good going. <laughs> so uh, yeah, 100 hours of gameplay there or thereabouts anyway. And um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, they are. I think I got a 96% completion so far. So technically, I suppose I've not entirely finished. There are a few quests that I, or missions that I jumped over. One of which was because, in fact, a couple of them that I've missed were because they were bugged and they were minor side missions. So I didn't worry too much about them. One of those got fixed, but by the time it was fixed, I kind of finished the main story and I couldn't be bothered to go back and do it. The other one is still bugged even now even after the first patch so that's slightly annoying but they have improved quite a lot of bits and pieces with that first patch as well so that's quite good i find a a way of changing the colors of the clothes which i'd struggled with as well which i thought originally was a bug but it's just it's badly labeled how you're actually supposed to do it but overall i thought the story was good fun i think that it's well put together i think a lot of people are finding it's taking sort of 10 hours or so 10 15 hours for them to really get into it Uh, i didn't have that at all i really enjoyed it pretty much from the start you know but i love those sort of big open world wander around do what you want sort of games i'm a huge fan of those bioware games so i was always kind of predisposed to liking this and there was nothing in it that was game-breakingly bad that would put me off it so the characterizations compared to the other mass effector games i think are are good and solid there's always a few people on your team that you really don't get on with and uh, you always have favorites and i think that's the same case here as well there are certain people that i always took on missions which i wouldn't do before but uh Overall, I definitely a thumbs up from me. Well worth going out to get, I think. I take awesome. it you've not played yet. No, I am quite behind on the gaming. I'm still <laughs> playing Lollipop Chainsaw, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I don't have as much time for gaming as I used to. Yes. And I tend to play slightly more throwaway things or things that are beat-em-ups co-ops and things i can do in a social situation right um, rather than playing the rpgs because i tend to play jrpgs that are exceedingly long and complicated and entirely take over your life for months yes yeah i know the sort of what you mean um Mm. I, there was a couple Save of them up for winter. <laughs> yes, yes, they're good winter games. Those. A couple of little other games that I picked up. There's one called Beat Cop, which is a uh, a sort of eight bit pixel kind of designed uh, to be a bit as though you're the story's based around the idea that you're a police detective that's been busted down to being a police cop, and you have a beat which is like a street, and it's all done in sort of eight pixel kind of art, and you're trying to solve the case that busted you down wrongly to being a beat cop and on top of that you're also uh, doing your regular kind of day-to-day police duties up and down this particular street so you're dealing with shop owners and that sort of stuff that's quite good fun it it's a sort of love letter to those 80s kind of tv cop dramas is, is the way it's described but that's really good fun and a, a good little throwaway thing where you know each day takes sort of 20 minutes or so to play through so that's quite good and i also picked up a game called thimbleweed park which is a classic monkey island style made on the scum engine point and click adventure game it's actually made by the same guys that made monkey island as well so 
It's got a really strong pedigree behind it. It uh, sends itself up quite a lot. They're, they're kind of digging at all those adventure game tropes and stuff. So it's uh, that's really good fun. You're playing a sort of uh, a, a pair of FBI agents who look suspiciously like Mulder and Scully, and you're trying to solve a murder. But uh, that's it's only about, I think it's £14 or £12 or something. That's well worth picking up because that's great fun, so particularly if you like those old school point-and-click adventure games. It's really good fun. So that was the stuff that I've been gaming on. The big thing that I got to do last week was go to the premiere for American Gods. Yes, I saw that. I looked on with envious eyes. (laughs) Yes, well, I I managed to get down to uh, London and they... Did it a place called Marlebone One, which is actually a converted church, apparently. And you can tell once you get into the main kind of hall area, it's a converted church because it's still got the full organ in the background. They sort of set that up with a tiny red carpet sort of down one side in the entrance area. And they'd done the rest of it out like a creepy wood. So you had to go through this like creepy little wood and then there was the main hall at the back which had been set up as a screening room complete with pews, you know, because American gods, it's church pews. So (laughs) they set all that up and um, we got to watch the first episode which I can't say anything about because it's under embargo until the 17th. (laughs) Is it good? Are you allowed to just vaguely say? I I would vaguely say yes. (laughs) I I will say yes. Worth checking out. Yes. I mean, the trailer looks really good. Everything I've seen and read about it so far looks really good. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. And it doesn't look like they're shying away from the material and it looks like they're they're putting effort into making something which is going to be at least in the spirit of it not like the kind of lucifer adaptation which although fun in its own right is not an adaptation of lucifer so i'm excited for it even if you can't say anything <laughs> yes i i would say you are correct in in that assumption <laughs> you could be in politics <laughs> but um Yes, so I won't say any more about that. The premiere itself was quite good fun. Uh, what I did uh, manage to put up and what we were allowed to put up was the Q&A se- section from the end of the premiere. That is up on the website. I took a video of that. So you can see it was uh, four people. It was Ricky Whittle who plays uh, Shadow Moon, the lead guy. Ian McShane as well was up there. And sorry, it was five people actually. Uh, Emily Browning who plays Laura Moon. Bruce Langley who plays Technical Boy. And Yetil Badaki, I think her name is, uh, who plays Bill Quist. So yeah, it was those five up there. That was really good fun. Got to have a big Q and a with those uh, with alex zane hosting it because it's some sort of london bylaw that you can't do any form of premiere without <laughs> alex zane hosting it there was all of that and then after that they converted the upstairs into jack's crocodile bar which is the infamous kind of bar where shadow first meets mr wednesday they actually converted a full-blown croc you know had a full-blown crocodile kind of bar canopy over the top of the uh, awesome. of the main bar it was really good we got photos of that up on the website as well they ended up having a chat with jamie east and somebody else called matt who i discovered afterwards was the uh was the stand-up comic and dj matt richardson so <laughs> so I ended up chatting with them for a bit and uh, before I headed back back out. But uh, yeah, I had a very pleasant time and it was very good. As I say, I can't say any more. I'm, I'm very nervous about saying anything about the actual episode. But uh, yes, it's going to be worth waiting for. I will say that. So <laughs> Yeah, uh, we'll have to do a proper talk about it when, when you are allowed. Yes, yes. Seventeenth, uh, I think the embargo is lifted on the first episode, so expect reviews all over the place on the seventeenth. Other than that, there's a few other things that came back. You've got Bones finished forever this week over here, which I don't know. It, I, I think it had probably read its course that show. Much as I like David Baranis and I, I enjoy watching that show, I think it had got to the point where they they must have killed people in every possible human way you could at this point. So I, I think that was probably good. It came to an end, and I and it wrapped things up nicely. I thought, although it it did feel a bit like you could bring it back for another episode if you really wanted to, because it wasn't like they all you know they killed anybody off or anybody went in a you know. Went 
went off to do something else entirely. It did feel like you could continue that quite happily if you really wanted to. And the 100 returned this week as well. I take it you've not caught up with that yet. I, I'm not. I got slightly disappointed when it went from Cool Things in Space to Lord of the Flies very, very quickly and sort of didn't go <laughs> back to it. Yes, yeah, they've they've ditched the space stuff pretty much entirely at this point. It sort of ended the last season with a dire warning that the nuclear reactors are starting to melt down across the globe. So that's the main threat, is nature itself at this point and whether they can all kind of bandy together to uh, to stop this nuclear reaction breaking down and wiping them all out within six months. So I, it's a fun show, though. I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's back on E4 on... I can't remember which night it is. Wednesday nights, I think. So uh, that's back on E4 anyway, so you can go and watch that. So yeah, I think that's it for the stuff for this week. Let's move on to some film and TV news. <laughs> So film and TV news this week, we've got a couple of renews or a few different renewals. Uh, Colony has been picked up for a third season. Did you see any of the first season of this? We've not even had the second one over here yet. I, I do feel like already this episode, mostly everything I've said is negative and I feel like sorry for that. But <laughs> I watched the first episode and felt like it was just a, a standard drama with a sci-fi backdrop. Did that change as the series went on? I have to say, I only made it about halfway through that first season. So, and I, I do want to go back and watch the rest of it, but I I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think it probably did. It's closer to something like V, maybe, um, which I thought was quite a good series. But I, I don't think we ever actually saw the aliens themselves, the alien kind of overlords. We're only seeing this kind of occupation side of things. So I, I need to go back and watch the rest of the first season of that second i think it depends if they broaden it out a bit because the thing with v is that they showed you both sides and there was interesting politics on both sides yeah and then colony looked like it was just going to be centered around the humans and family life and you could almost switch that backdrop out for some other yeah just or controlling event yeah you could have i mean it was basically the idea of a sort of nazi occupation or an occupied country but with aliens was the basic premise of it. So I know exactly what you mean. I, I will go back and watch the rest of the first season, hopefully before the second season lands over here, which we still don't have an exact date for yet, um, other than we know it is coming at some point to Sky One, and I would think it would be in the next couple of months. Colony, I think season two has finished airing in the US, so I suspect they were waiting for that to finish before they brought it over. Criminal Minds has been renewed for a 13th season, which was one of the ones that was left off the massive CBS renewal list a couple of weeks ago, whenever that was. And uh, Netflix have renewed a show called Mindhunter, which you won't have seen because it's not aired yet. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of Criminal Minds crossed with Silence of the Lambs. It's It's two FBI behavioral science unit people who are interviewing serial killers to solve crimes. It stars Jonathan Groff, who was in uh, Glee and voiced one of the characters in Frozen, Hulk McNary, who was in Blue Bloods and CSI Miami, and Anna Tove, who was in Fringe, are the main stars. But it's produced by David Fincher, who's the man behind Gone Girl and Social Network. And it's not due actually to air, it's a Netflix original series, not due to air until October, and they've already new it for a second season so i think that's definitely going to be one to uh, keep an eye out for it could be quite interesting i do like things that actually delve into the psychology of stuff so if they take it on that angle and they do actually look into things in depth then that could be quite an interesting one to probably have on like when you're eating dinner or something because i'm assuming it's going to be a procedural yeah i mean i don't know how procedural it's going to be given i mean it's very difficult to tell with netflix shows and there isn't that much out about it right now so uh I, what interests me is the fact that it's got david fincher behind it which you know he likes his psychological bordering on horror thrillers so i i think that's going to be quite an interesting show but that doesn't arrive until october but it, they've they've already renewed it for a second season so uh yeah. one to if, watch if they're out chasing for. one particular killer in a kind of red john style that could be quite fun yeah i i'm not sure i'm not sure whether it is going to be procedural or whether it's one person but uh, it's called mindhunter i think it's based on a book as well so uh, but it, I think it's based on an actual factual book of sort of fbi and serial killers so it could be very interesting uh, that's that's going to be one to look out for. But Mindhunter, October, that arrives, and then there'll be another season after that. 
On to the main news stories. We have another Marvel series incoming, but this one's kind of different because it's a live action comedy series. It's coming to free form in the US. We obviously know UK channel or air date yet. Do you know the Marvel, Marvel's New Warriors? I don't know this book, really. Not incredibly well, but I am intrigued to see if Marvel can get the style of comedy they've got going on in the movies and, and that kind of universe onto their TV format. Because if we could get something that had the sense of self-aware human of Guardians of the Galaxy, galaxy and get that sense of humor into a tv show that could be amazing yeah that could be really interesting the basis of it is it consists of a team of teenage slash young adults uh the six of them they live and they work together they've got powers and abilities that are on the opposite end of the spectrum to the avengers new warriors want to make a difference in the world even if the world isn't ready not quite super not yet heroes is the uh, tagline they seem to be using <laughs> it's about the time in your life when you first enter to adulthood and feel like you can do everything and nothing all at once except in this world bad guys can be as terrifying as bad dates one of the characters is squirrel girl who is a, a sort of a you, you kind of rocket raccoon sort of <laughs> idea i guess apart from uh, i think it's it's a it's a girl that has the powers of a squirrel so it actually she actually looks like a girl with squirrel ears from what i can tell um, and a tail. And a tail, yes. So uh, she's described as as an empowering fangirl, tough, optimistic, and a natural leader. He's confident and has the powers of a squirrel. She's acrobatic, can fight and talk to other squirrels. Her most important trait is that she has faith in people and teaches them to believe in themselves. So it looks like they're going to be kind of hanging around her as the main team lead. They've not announced who the others of the new warriors are going to be but it's quite interesting they're doing a straight up superhero live action comedy i think well squirrel girl in herself is a little bit of a joke character because she was sort of a bit ridiculous and then to somehow combat that they made her one of the most powerful mutants and take on some unbelievably strong bad guys and win um, <laughs> and she gets a bit of a mixed reaction from the comic book community some people absolutely love her and other people just think oh make it stop um <laughs> I think this could go one of two ways. Either it could be incredibly funny in a Guardians of the Galaxy way, but whenever anything mentions like being scared of going on bad date, I start to get kind of Smallville flashbacks. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not, they're not doing it as an hour long. It's, they're only kind of 10, 30 minute episodes at the moment. So they are doing it very much as a half hour comedy. So I don't know. I mean, I know what you're saying about if they can do something like Guardians of the Galaxy. I get the feeling they're heading more into sitcom territory, which slightly worries yeah. me. Knowing who's writing and directing this one is going to have a big impact on whether or not I watch it. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. So it's one to watch out for anyway. It's uh, Marvel's New Warriors is the name of that show. Moving on, uh, we have another piece of news on Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, which was, was we spoke about last time, actually, you were on. They've announced some more casting for it. The next episode that's being shot will star Jack Rayner, who's from um, Beth and Free Fire and the Jumble Book, and uh, Benedict Wong, who is, of course, from Doctor Strange and The Martian and was in Top Boy. They both take the lead in an episode called Impossible Planet as two disillusioned, disenchanted and indifferent space tourist employees take up an elderly woman who's played by Geraldine Chapman from Monsters Call and Jocks at Vargo. They take up her request for a trip back to Earth, the existence of which is a long debunked myth. I find that that's kind of an interesting setup. She's apparently easily confused, but she's rich. So for the right payment, what's the harm in indulging her fantasies? As the journey unfolds, however, their scam begins to eat away at them. Ultimately, they find themselves themselves dealt a bittersweet surprise yeah i mean again i don't know the story it's based off but it is based off a philip k dick short story i quite like this idea it's, it's a, quite a nice one i thought i love all of philip k dick short stories i think that this is i said last time this is exactly the right format for showcasing all of his short stories because they have some of his best ideas and people normally try and drag them out into whole movie formats yeah yeah and doing them episodic in the black mirror style is going to make these little pockets of 
hopefully compete genius and i'm incredibly looking forward to this this is probably one of the things i'm most excited about at the moment yeah it does look really really good this one has been written in by directed by david farr who is one of the guys behind the, the night manager hanaram mafia it's based on the impossible planet Kirillik k dick Scott story the show will be going out later in the year on channel four in the uk and amazon prime in the us so definitely want to watch out for that i think this is it's shaping up to be a very interesting series this um you've got telemethy spool in the first episode as well which looked like quite a good one too so next up we have a new drama coming to bbc2 called collateral and they've announced that uh, it's starring Kerry Mulligan, but you've also got Billy Piper, John Sim, and Nicola Walker joining the cast for that as well. Uh, set over the course of four days, it's a four-part drama exploring the spiralling re- repercussions surrounding the fatal shooting of a pizza delivery man. Refusing to accept this is a random, senseless act of violence, tough and single-minded detective in- inspector Kip Gillespie, we played by Mulligan, is determined to discover there is a darker truth. John Sim plays politician David Mars, who becomes instantly embroiled in the drama through his turbulent relationship with his troubled, unpredictable ex, Karen, who is played by Billy Piper. And Nicola Walker is playing Jane Oliver, who is a compassionate vicar who struggles to conceal her affair with the only witness to the crime. Yeah, interesting group of... uh, I mean, it sounds very much like a sort of standard BBC drama to me, but interesting cast lineup they've got there. Yeah, slightly outside of my area, but I do like a lot of the people involved in this. I'm sort of with you there as well. The writing for this comes from David Hare, who has done various things in the past. He's actually well-known as a playwright, but uh, did the hours for TV, did the reader. He's done various other things as well. So, I mean, he's a reasonable guy to have behind it. I think Carrie Mulligan is a great actress. You've got uh, Nicola Walker, who's fantastic. John Sim is also really good. Uh, and, you know, it's always nice to see Billy Piper and things. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a good, solid cast behind it. It's, it's difficult because the story itself doesn't massively excite me. But I think the the cast and the person behind it will probably make me go and watch it, I think. Yeah, I think because it's just the four episodes and they've been very clear in describing it as contemporary state of the nation thriller. And Mm. that I think that it sort of sounds like the plot on it when you just write it out straight doesn't actually describe what it's going to be very well yeah i know what you mean because it does sound fairly generic but we'll see uh coming to bbc2 it's uh four 60 minute episodes we don't know exactly when yet it's co-produced by a company called the forge and netflix so i imagine worldwide distribution is probably going out on netflix if that's the case mm. also means they might be willing to take more risks with it yeah possibly if it's we a bbc need, need should... to see more information about that one yeah if it's a bbc2 show then you know they might push the boat out a little bit more as well and sticking with john sim as well there was the other little story that popped up the end of last week john sim is returning as the master on doctor who as well he posted a thing saying i can confirm it's true commented sim uh thanks for the to the power of time travel i'm back it's always a pleasure to work with a great team and people i can't wait to see what the master gets up to in the next series so the next series will have the master and will have missy in it as well i am quite excited about that I'd started to get a bit bored with Doctor Who. I felt that it was becoming quite predictable in places. Mm. And yeah, I was starting to just not be as bothered with if I saw the episodes as they came out or watched them on catch up and things like that. And the idea of having both masters in it, if they do, if it isn't just one episode, if it's an actual proper ongoing plot line with both of them, because they're both incredible actors, I think that could pull me back into Doctor Who again. Yeah, I I mean, it looks like they're going to be both on screen at the same time. It looks like it's going to be some sort of two masters team up like a sort of two doctors thing but it's it's going to be two masters instead which is it's interesting because it's not something they've ever done before um it's not something they've ever really had the opportunity to do before i don't think because every time the master has been on screen in the old series i think every time they replaced the master was generally because the previous guy died off so you know they also go on a lot about the paradoxes of meeting yourself and how you never should and yeah yeah yeah. the the master's already done something with a massive paradox type machine so they're gonna need to come up with 
something slightly different than oh he's just doing that again yeah. um but if they if they're going to run this over rather than it just being one episode gimmick if they're going to run this over a longer amount of episodes i think that just could be incredibly entertaining to watch yeah and of course we have got a regeneration coming up so you know maybe the the fact that there are two masters that he's battling maybe that has something to do with the regeneration possibly um, oh is the master going to win for once <laughs> maybe maybe he is i don't know but uh yeah, I think that's that's going to be kind of interesting, and it's going to be good to see John Sim and Michelle Gomez on screen together. I think that's going to be interesting, and how they react to each other. Because how's the master going to react to first of all the fact that he regenerated into a woman, and the fact that he has an enormous ego as well? So you've now got two people with giant egos clashing. Mm, will they compete with each other, or will they both just agree that they're both the most beautiful of their? gender yeah. in the entire galaxy maybe i don't know <laughs> so yeah that's it seems like a solo personality clash is going to be quite interesting yeah well have you seen you remember the episode of um red dwarf where there's two rimmers yes yeah <laughs> yeah maybe maybe that'll be interesting in two rumors that we've had that before so we've actually had the male and female lister thing happen as well in red dwarf so yeah stealing ideas maybe from red dwarf again a bit of that yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all the news for this week. Let's move on to the interview. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The interview this week is with the composer Alec Perot. Alec is an award-winning film and television composer who created music for over 40 films. He's done thousands of hours of television programs, countless advertising. He's probably best known for scoring the hit drama The Fosters and MTV's Sweet Vicious, as well as several films, including The Art of Getting By by with Emma Roberts and Freddie Highmore. He's a veteran of the indie film world and recently composed the music for the upcoming comedy All Nighter, which stars Emil Hirsch and the Academy Award winner and new Commissioner Gordon J.K. Simmons. So we got a chance to sit down and have a chat with Alec about the upcoming film, stuff that he's worked on in the past and uh, various things that he's got coming up as well. So here's the interview with Alec. We'll see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV. Alec. Hey, how you doing? Is uh, this David? Yes, it's Dave. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for uh, inviting me to uh, sit in on your podcast. No, you're most welcome. Thank you for spending a bit of time to come on and talk. Yeah, definitely. Probably should start off by, um, for those that don't know you, because you were you were uh, in a band called Deadsy originally. Um, yes. So do you just want to give us a bit of background about how you got into music in the first place? Sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, I started playing music when I, I started out on piano when I was about 10 years old and, you know, like the piano, but you know, when you're, you know, young, you want to be in a rock band and you want to, <laughs> you know, play music. And, and somehow from playing piano, I, I really had this interest in playing drums. And when I was about 13, I started playing drums. And, you know, from there it was just like, you know, jamming every day in multiple bands with friends. And, you know, it was just the best thing ever. Yeah. And, you know, along the way, uh, like in my teen years, obviously like most drummers or musicians, you're in literally like five different bands. <laughs> you're playing all the time and you're just trying to like master your craft. And, you know, I did a lot of, you know, I, I was lucky. I did a lot of like studio sessions, played drums on tons of TV commercials and some cool. film stuff and with some other artists. And, uh, you know, my friend Elijah, who was the singer in dead Z, we were in seventh grade together. So we kind of started <laughs> playing around the same time. And we had always said, Oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to start, you know, we're going to have this super group one day or, you know, <laughs> and, you know, in our late teens, like right as right before I went to college, we made a demo and it was just me and him, you know, I played drums, 
he played everything else. You know, we <laughs> wrote stuff together and we put together this four song demo and it caught the ear of uh, Seymour Stein at Sire Records, who, I mean, Seymour Stein has signed. You know, he discovered Depeche Mode, Madonna, The Cure, wow. like, you know, just legend. And he signed us to a record deal. And kind of from there, it took a number of years to kind of actually finish the first record. And we kind of bounced from record, different record label to record label and ended up on DreamWorks Records in 2002 and released like our official first record commencement. And uh, that was kind of the tail end of bands you know sort of selling records i guess <laughs> or there being or there being like record stores so you know we were lucky we got a lot of our friends were in you know bigger bands like you know corn or right. biscuit or orgy or whatever so we we got to go on all these big like arena tours <laughs> which was just such a fun experience and in doing that we were selling you know a decent amount of records probably sold a few hundred thousand records in all mm. and uh you know had a fun i feel like we got to do the whole you know rock star experience <laughs> or whatnot and tour everywhere minus you know making that crazy living that some of these guys do yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh as uh the band went on i kind of you know i knew that unless the band was going to be Coldplay or Nine Inch Nails or something that was, you know, just yeah. would take over your life forever. I always knew that I wanted to kind of score films and TV shows. And, you know, luckily along the way, you know, when I went to college before we got our record deal, I went to this place, uh, California Institute of the Arts right. and studied like orchestration theory, really got back to the kind of piano and writing element and composing and from there, I started scoring friends short films as we were touring and licensing music. And it kind of, I don't know, it kind of worked hand in hand because, you know, when you're in a band, it's like you're on tour and then you're not. Yeah. And then you make a record. It, there's, there is a lot of downtime. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was able to kind of explore that early on so that as time went on, you know, we made a second record and toured it. The, the scoring thing just kind of started to outweigh the band thing. And, you know, in your 20s, it's really, really fun to you know, have that experience and be out on the road and have no responsibility and all that. But, you know, as you, as you know, when, once you get in your thirties, if you want to yeah. get married or have a family or just, you know, things sort of change priority wise. And, you know, that's why I loved composing. Cause it was like, there weren't five other, other people you would have to kind of coordinate things with, or it was really, you know, started with you and then collaborating with other people is amazing. But, you know, I was able to kind of like stay in one place and yeah. I don't know, one thing led to another and I scored a buddy's film and it was kind of the first, I guess, bigger film that I'd scored. First time I got to do an orchestra and, uh, it went to Sundance and was my first sort of taste of like, Oh God, this is totally what I want to do with the rest of my life. This is <laughs> awesome. So I guess that's sort of the long-winded <laughs> beginning <laughs> to yeah. start. So I, I guess if you've been doing sort of small films throughout while you were in the band, that, that must have made the transition from being a rock musician into being a full-blown screen composer a lot easier. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. Because, I mean, it's one thing to be able to write a song. Yeah. It's a whole other skill set to be able to look at picture and put music to it and then be able to revise that per somebody's notes. You know, the, the thing about scoring that's different from, you know, writing a song or making a record in a band is like when you're scoring, you kind of, you're given these sort of parameters and you're kind of, you know, yeah. in a box yeah. in a way. And you did try to figure out how to make the director's vision sort of come through on screen, given like these parameters and, and you know, what you have to work within, which I find a really fun challenge because you come up with different stuff every time. The cool thing about being in a band is there's no rules. Nothing's off limits. <laughs> you can really, you can take it wherever you want, which is really exciting as well. So it's, it's just a different skill set, I think. So, yeah, you know, like anything, you got to just kind of do it over and over and over and over <laughs> again to 
to get better. Over the years, you've scored uh, various different TV shows. The Fosters, you're quite well known for, Sweet Vicious, uh, Wicked Tuna, Manhattan Love Story, I noticed as well on your list. There's quite a wide variety of TV shows there. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you have a particular, and movies as well, do you have a particular genre that you prefer to score for? I don't know. I mean, it's I, I like to... I like to mix it up like like the the shows you mentioned, you know, one's like a family drama, one's a half hour single cam comedy, one's an unscripted kind of docu-series. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I love I've always gravitated more towards darker, more aggressive, dramatic type stuff. But I also really love scoring comedy, too, because it's a whole different challenge, you know? Yeah. Um, I just feel like the way, I guess the way any business works is it's, you know, it's super competitive and it's like, if you get the opportunity to make music or score somebody's project, no matter what it is, I mean, unless it's really goes against everything you're about, it's like you say yes to everything because you know, you want to work, <laughs> yeah. you want to work and exercise that muscle and you never know who you'll meet along the way or what relationship will lead to what. And I don't know, that's kind of part of the fun of it. So that's why, you know, my, I guess, credits or resume is kind of all over the place in a way, you know, I haven't yet been super pigeonholed (laughs) to, to like, I mean, there's definitely certain things that I get asked to do a lot, but, uh, I, I like being able to mix it up and it all depends on, you know, what the director or showrunner really wants from you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a go-to instrument to start on on a project? Because, uh, you know, we, we've established you can play drums and piano. Drums, I can't imagine being a great place to start when you're... No. So do you have anything in particular that you... Is it, is it piano that you usually start with or something yeah. else? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually it, it kind of, you know, over the years I've kind of learned, like, even if I'm writing you know, I play a little guitar as well, but if I'm per se, you know, writing something for guitar or for an orchestra or just a different instrument, my first concern is finding, you know, the right composition and coming up with the right themes that really kind of elevate what's on screen. And to me, that all starts, or for me, that all starts on the piano. And I won't move to even filling out a demo or whatever until my composition and my map, everything is complete just on the piano. Because once you write the piece, it's all there. And it's how are you going to make this come to life? Like, what's the sound palette for this project that you're going to use? Is it guitar? Is it flute? Is it, it could be anything. But if you don't have the composition and the melodic themes, you don't really have anything. So yeah. I really, I really like to start with that. And then that becomes the foundation. And then it, it's kind of, it's a lot of fun from there to kind of fill it out and drums, you know, come yeah. into effect after you write uh, the piece, <laughs> even though there were a couple pieces, uh, this movie that I just scored called the all nighter, yeah, which, yeah. which is, you know, the, I think the sound, yeah, the soundtrack I believe is coming out tomorrow as well as it's ah, going to be cool. on VOD tomorrow. But, uh, in that movie, which I haven't done, haven't gotten the opportunity to do a lot. It was super percussive based, which was so cool. Cause there was actually, there was two cues in there that literally are drum cues. Oh, cool. So yeah, which is really cool. So I got to kind of start out that way, which was just a whole fun, different way to do it. Yeah. Um, I was going to come on, come onto the film. The, uh, you've got JK Simmons and Emil Hirsch are the, are the two leads in it. It's kind of an action comedy, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. I, so yeah, that it looks like a great, great fun movie. I I love JK. Uh, he's, yeah, he's amazing, awesome. amazing at everything. One of the things that comes out in the trailer, which I, I was watching earlier is, uh, Emil's character mentions he plays the banjo. So does uh-huh. that sort of influence the score in some way? You know that, you know, when we first sat down, when I first sat down with the director, that was definitely one of the first things we talked about. Cause there's a couple instances where Emil, plays banjo on screen right. and at the end at the end of the film you see him on stage like jamming with his band so 
originally we were like, let's start with these pre-records, see how that goes. Cause the, the director, he was kind of on the fence if he wanted to, cause once you put banjo into <laughs> like a score or something, yeah. it becomes very like bluegrass heavy in a way. And yeah. I don't know that he really wanted to do that. He wanted to go more with the score kind of, you know, almost like those throwbacks sort of like lethal weapon, you know, midnight run 48 hours type of kind of buddy action thriller score that has that sort of like bluesy yet driven really pace driven kind of score yeah if that makes sense yeah yeah um but we did we did do some pre-records you know where i wrote some banjo pieces and at the same time they had gotten a meal like a banjo teacher because he had to kind of learn and as he was learning to play banjo he got so into it that he started writing songs with his banjo <laughs> teacher and at the end of the day he was just like you got you know check out this song i wrote for the end of the movie and they ended up using that instead of one of my pre-records but <laughs> it, it came out really good he got really good at banjos and he's i think he wrote like maybe like 10 songs or something <laughs> i mean only ones in the movie but uh yeah it was pretty impressive yeah yeah that's that's it's amazing somebody picks it up that quick that's brilliant yeah no i'm because that's a hard instrument yeah yeah <laughs> with you coming from i mean you've you've done various shows you've done films as well before do you have a preference for film or tv or is it just a mix again i mean it's kind of a mix i mean there's things i like about both you know i started out doing lots of you know independent films lots of sundance movies and you know i the thing i love about film is you really you have a little bit more time usually and most directors really want to push it push it and really try to find just something new and cool and you have a little bit more time to experiment and the thing i love about tv is i actually really love the fast pace where you don't yeah. have too much time to kind of stew and think about it and overthink about things <laughs> um so it's really nice to kind of like come up with you know something cool and different and push myself artistically obviously but yeah. uh in that smaller amount of time. So it's, it's nice to kind of do some TV and then you get to do a film where you get to kind of like breathe a little bit more. I feel like music and film is a little more melodic at times because in TV it's, you know, it's such a short period yeah. that a show is on and it's just so fast paced and there's a lot of underscore and I don't know, it's just a different, uh, different thing but i i mean I, I really do love both for sure yeah what do you reckon is the most interesting experience you've had whilst been working as a composer oh that's a let's see <laughs> i mean there's a few i definitely a couple years ago i got a call to come in and score a film with lincoln park the, the band oh, wow. lincoln park yeah. yeah which was really cool because i had never I'd never done something like that. Basically, you know, we had toured with them back in the day and I became friends with a couple of the guys and, you know, kept in touch. And one of them called and was like, Hey, you know, we're trying to score this movie and it's just overwhelming. I mean, it's just so different than making a record. Is there any way you could like come in and, you know, kind of walk us through the process, you know, be a yeah. part of it, help us out. And I was like, yeah, that would be awesome like such a cool way to like mix it up and do something different and it was an awesome experience to get to kind of like write with those guys and you know really collaborate and kind yeah. of feel that feel that band vibe again <laughs> you know <laughs> that's very cool yeah so do you listen to the music on on other sort of films and tv shows um sure. uh, you know yeah. uh, what are other yeah. sort of shows and soundtracks that you've listened to and thought i really love that i mean right now i think my f the, there's a few but the one that stood out recently for me that i was just like oh my god this is just this guy is just a monster is uh is westworld yeah. Uh, the composer for Westworld, you know, Ramin, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but yeah. he scores like Game of Thrones. And yeah. I mean, he he is just unbelievable. The theme to that show is is just awesome. Yeah. And just, you know, just the, 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 the detail that goes into that show for the, you know, kind of what happens in Westworld and the stuff that happens in the present. I don't know. It was just so creative. He's definitely one of my favorite TV guys for sure. Yeah, yeah. Ramin is is phenomenal. Yeah, it's crazy. One of one of the few guys I've not managed to to get onto interview yet, but I would love to. Oh, really? Fact. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know. I'd I'd really love to because I love his stuff. It's it's fantastic. 
Um, what would you say inspires you in terms of other musical influences, other, you know, that not guys directly you like are there is there sort of musical or even non-musical influences that inspire you i mean to me I, honestly anybody anybody that does something well and yeah. really puts the time in inspires me but i mean you know obviously you know filmmaking and tv that you know especially now with tv you know the tv has become more like films you know what i mean yeah and I, I just feel like when you watch something that's just so well thought out and so well written, that definitely inspires me, as does, you know, going to a concert to see we go every year to uh, the Hollywood Bowl out here to see, you know, John Williams play right. all of his famous scores. I mean, oh, wow. there, I just feel like, yeah, music as a whole. I mean, there's so, so many things that can get you going and inspire you. And I just feel like constantly trying to learn and study. It's like you can never sort of, for me at least, you know, I'll go through periods where I'm not maybe learning something new or sitting at the piano even for 10, 20, 30 minutes a day just to practice things. And I, I, I feel myself kind of you start to write some of the same things and you, that's when you know you got to go back learn new things which just completely inspire me and bring kind of new ideas to the table yeah yeah what would you say is the best piece of advice somebody's given you huh i mean i definitely have been lucky in that uh you know i grew up in los angeles and yeah, I think when you when you grow up here, you know, I had a lot of contact with different people in my given industry or whatnot and was lucky. You know, there were definitely a handful of people that I feel in some way not mentored me, but really gave me good advice along the way. But I guess the one that really sticks out for me and not to drop names, but <laughs> <laughs> um, my mom, she was she, when we were growing up, she was a real estate agent. She became really close with uh, with Andy Summers from the police. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and his family and he lived up the street and we were friends with his kids. And I remember one time I was talking to him and he this is when I was like really into the drums and being in a band. And yeah. He, you know, we were talking about music and obviously the police and whatnot. And he was just like, listen, the only advice that I could give you is you need to start writing songs. Yeah. That is the key. You need to write music that for the creative outlet, but that you own, that's yours. That, you know, when you play drums or you're a studio guy, it's like you're going to be hopefully your band blows up or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, if I had just kind of stuck with the drums, I'm sure I would be, uh, you know, a really successful session guy, or I would have maybe joined some band as a hired gun and be on the road. And like, that's totally cool. But I don't know that that would be for me as yeah. much, you know, and also the creative outlet of writing a song or composing a score. It just... I don't know. I feel like that stuff's got to get out of you. And so <laughs> once he told me that it is when I really kind of started like writing songs and really entertaining the scoring thing in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's very true. I, I think. And plus, you know, if you're in a band, you want to be on the songwriting credits because they get you more yeah. money. So <laughs> yeah, that too. Right. <laughs> totally. No, it's true. When you're writing, do you, do you tend to go for physical instruments more than anything else? I mean, we've talked about you using the piano, but, um, do you tend to use physical instruments over, um, samplers and that sort of thing? Yes. I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, my, my mission ever since I started was, I mean, the first thing I did was learn how to record myself. And right. I think that, you know, for me, obviously it depends what kind of score you're doing. Like the score I do for Sweet Vicious is, you know, they don't want organic sounds. They want like trap step, hip hop program drums. Like yeah. they want that. So it's totally different. But overall, my whole thing is I want my scores and the music I make to be as organic as possible and as human as possible. Because if you're playing drums, bass, guitar, piano on a track, and then there's a couple instruments that are maybe like sampled instruments peppered in, yeah, they don't they don't stand out because for the most part you feel that you know heartbeat and that soul from the human yeah. kind of making music, which I think is just so important. You know, I, I, I the imperfectness of that I, mm. I've really just embraced you know more and more every day. I love when there's a little flub or 
you know, it shouldn't be quantized to the grid. I, I just, yeah. yeah. I mean, some things, again, that it works for, but uh, I like the human aspect of music most of all. That yeah, interesting. I, I um, spoke to Nate Barr a couple of days ago, who writes for the Americans mm-hmm. and uh, did uh, True Blood as well and various other. Yeah, things. he's awesome. Yeah, amazing composer. And he said very, almost very similar sort of things about the fact that your the the nice thing about the physical instruments are the fact that yeah, when something goes wrong, you get that kind of real human quality to it, which is is far nicer and can send you off in a completely different direction when you're writing as well, which is kind of interesting. No, totally. Especially when you have, you know, when you write something and you have other musicians come in, I mean, they, you know, a lot of times once we get what I've written, I'll be like, Hey, you want to do a pass just free form, like whatever you think. And sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, yeah, I can't believe that guy just did that. I wouldn't have ever thought of that. So (laughs) Yeah, no, it's definitely, that's the fun in it. You know, making music is supposed to be fun and we're lucky to get to do it, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A few last questions. We've established you just finished doing the all-nighter. What are you doing next? Film-wise, I just finished a film called A Happening of Monumental Proportions. And, uh, you know, the actress Judy Greer? Right, yeah. She directed this film. It was her first, uh, it's her directorial debut. And she just made an awesome film. And the cast is just ridiculous. I mean, everybody you can think of is in this movie. (laughs) And uh, it's, uh, you know, we just finished it. So hoping probably come out in the next year but I got to try some new things which was cool I did uh she was really into the Beach Boys so I actually I did this kind of like acoustic indie-esque score but you know for the first time a lot of the cues have like vocals like like four-part harmonies and it was yeah it was it was different it was it was really fun to kind of have the license to just kind of go for it with that that's very cool so that and as far as tv you know hoping sweet vicious comes back for a second season and you know working on some pilots right now it's pilot season yeah uh, you know just uh always always trying to put as much out there as possible because you just never know what comes back absolutely (laughs) yeah a couple of very final questions that we always ask people um Uh, first one would be uh what tv shows are you watching at the moment let's see i'm watching right now like last night i I really like homeland yes watch homeland better call saul ah yes yeah i mean i was big breaking bad fan yeah um westworld wait there's something else you know i love the walking dead yeah uh, even though sometimes i'm like why am i watching (laughs) it's it's kind of but i i there's something about it i just i I love watching it and uh god what else those are kind of the main ones like right now as far as where seasons are at those are my shows at the moment obviously my wife likes uh the occasional real housewives uh (laughs) marathon which i'm subjected to but just kidding uh yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Um, and last question would be: If you had the opportunity to work on any show, past, present, or future, which show would it be? God, that is a tough question. I mean, the first one that always comes to mind is uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. I just, I really think that that, you know, I guess maybe like Breaking Bad and Lo- like Lost, maybe. Oh, cool. Lost. Yeah. But Breaking Bad, I don't know. I, it's just literally, I think one of just the most well-made best shows it's definitely top 10 of all time for me and you know that that series finale i think is was one of the best series finales i've ever seen oh yeah yeah i I would yeah i guess i would say that yeah i I really that show is amazing yeah all right well we've been on half an hour so i shall i shall let you get back to your date thank you for spending a bit of time just talking through your work no this was awesome i've it's actually the first podcast i've done it was nice to you know just have a conversation with somebody rather than do like a formal interview it's definitely (laughs) much more fun (laughs) awesome yeah you take care and you cheers all right bye-bye that was the interview with alex hope you enjoyed that next up we have some highlights for next week on tv Highlights for next week on TV. Uh, first one is is a fairly big one. Better Call Saul is back on Netflix on the 11th of April. I adore this series. It was fantastic last season. It was fantastic the first season. So it's back for its third one. I, I 
really looking forward to this. I'm still behind. <laughs> but you keep talking very subtly about he might just slightly like this one. So I'm going to take it as something I should have seen. Yes, it is definitely something you should have seen. We get to see a lot of new characters uh, or new old characters in this season because we've got people like Gus Frink coming back from Breaking Bad it also apparently going to have the transformation from the uh, lawyer that he currently is into the alter ego Sol Goodman which is the one that we know from um, Breaking Bad so that apparently happens this season as well other new big dramas we've got Gorilla starting on Sky Atlantic which is a co-production between Sky Atlantic and Showtime. It features Idris Elba, who's one of the people exact producing it, and he's, he's one of the side characters as well. He's not actually the main lead, I don't think. But it's, it's set around the radical underground cells in 1970s London. That looks like it could be quite a strong and powerful drama. That coming on the 13th of April at 9pm on Sky Atlantic, it's called Gorilla. Next up, we have Baskets, which is arriving on the 13th of April at 10.30. This has been a, a show which has got huge acclaim in America. Uh, it's actually won uh, various awards. Zach Galifianakis playing twin brothers Chip and Dale Baskets. Chip dreams of becoming a professional clown, but fails clown school in Paris and ends up heading back to his hometown of Bakersfield, California. I don't know much more about it than that, but I know it's, I think it's on its second or third season in the US and a lot of the critics have been going nuts over it. So I think it will be one to watch. It sounds terrible from that description. However, <laughs> it's winning awards. So I'm sort of morbidly curious to understand what the hell that is. Yes, I, I'm sort of in the same boat with you. Uh, but yes, it's called Baskets. It's coming to Fox and it's on the 13th of April at 10.30 if you want to catch that. Blind Spot Season 2 Part 2 is back on the 13th of April at 9pm as well if you've been following Blind Spot. Then you've got uh, Mystery Science Theatre 3000 The Return. This is coming to Netflix on the 14th of April. One Man, Three Bots, a vault of B-grade movies just begging to be rifled. Welcome to the all-new era of Mystery Science Theatre 3000. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have very... memories of the original. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I never wanted it to go away. I, I'm glad it's back. I don't know whether I ever saw the original, but um, yeah, I... I uh, I do like the sound of this. This sounds very much up my street, so I've, I will be looking forward to uh, going to watch this. 14th of April on Netflix, that one is. The aforementioned Doctor Who is back on the 15th. That's on BBC One. Uh, it's Peter Capaldi and Stephen Moffat's final full season. They're both around till the Christmas special. As far as we were aware, although some people are saying that that uh, there may be some sort of regeneration stuff going on early, although Moffat has then said Capaldi is definitely in the Christmas special, so I don't know what the heck's going on. But uh, yeah, they're, they're supposedly both around to the Christmas special, and then Chris Chibnall takes over for next year with a brand new Doctor and a new season. Looking forward to this because I want to see the uh, I want to see the final season of Peter Capaldi. And as we've been talking about two masters, what more can you want? Doctor Who season ten comes to BBC One on the fifteenth of April at seven twenty. That is Vikings. If you've missed it on Amazon Prime, is coming to the History Channel for the fourth season on eighteenth of April at ten pm. And Veep is back for its sixth season on the 18th of April at 10 past 10 on Sky Atlantic which is a show I absolutely love uh, really depends whether you like political comedies but that one is particularly funny so unless you've got anything else you'd like to add in uh, not unless you want another three hours worth of ranting about Ghost in the Shell but I think people can just go to the Trista Bites YouTube if they <laughs> want to see me looking very disappointed about having spent a couple of hours with Scarlett Johansson which is not something I ever thought I'd say <laughs> yeah I could never imagine that <laughs> um, so that's all for us for this week if you want more information you can go to the website at geektown.co.uk throughout the week and see all the latest air date information you can get in touch with your questions and comments by emailing us on podcast at geektown.co.uk you can leave a message on the website post you can find us at geektown on twitter at facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown at youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that's everything we shall see you next week bye Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.